0: Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Doing well? All right, thank you. One person's doing good. It's good to see each of you. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, I would love that opportunity. Uh, My name is Alan Pittman. I have the pleasure of serving as the senior pastor here as well as one of our elders. And we are absolutely thrilled that you came to worship with us today here in the building or online. If you're a guest and you have not had an opportunity yet to fill out a connection card, I would love for you to do me a favor and just fill this out. You don't have to put anything else in the offering plate when it comes by, just this. And the reason why this is so important to me is because I am a visual learner and not an auditory learner. And so whenever I see your name on that sheet of paper, it'll help me remember your name a little bit better and we can also get you some information about the church. So we are absolutely thrilled that you are here worshiping with us today. I wanted to kind of give us uh, kind of where we're going, give us a little bit of uh, direction and over the next few weeks and that is over this past summer uh, not this past summer over this weeks of this summer we have been walking through some of the books some of the chapters if I can use my words correctly in the book of Psalms and so we've been looking at various Psalms and today we're going to look at Psalm 150 which is the last one And the reason we're doing that is because starting next week, we'll jump back into the book of Acts. So if you have been a part of our worship over the last year, you know we've walked through the book of Acts verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We're going to jump back into that starting next week. If you want to kind of prepare yourself for that, you'll see at the bottom of the sermon notes, there is an indication of where we're going to be. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6, picking up where we left off, and that is in verse 8. Maybe you want to kind of go back and read the last couple of chapters leading into that so you can kind of get your, uh, be, your bearings a little bit as we jump into the book of Acts next Sunday. So we're looking this morning at, Act, sorry, at Psalm uh, 150 and if you've got a Bible with you go ahead and grab your Bible turn to the last chapter of the book of Psalms if you don't have a Bible with you there should be one near you and you can grab one of those in a chair beneath you or beside you and you can use that if you don't have a Bible you can feel free to take that home with you that'll be a gift from us to you. Um, as you get there also I encourage you to have your uh, sermon notes handy if you've got that so you can take notes as we go along I'm going to ask you a question it's not a trick question it's just a straight up question what is the one thing that we can do here on earth that we also can do in heaven anybody praise God exactly we can praise God that's one thing we can do here that we can do there in fact that's what heaven is going to be like. It's going to be in the presence of God. I'm not saying that it'll be a continuous worship service because the worship of God is going to probably feel a little bit differently when we're directly in his presence than when we come here. And yes, he is present here, but in heaven we will literally be in his presence. But worshiping God is something that we can do both here and there. And so this morning we're going to look at Psalm 150, and we're going to see that we are to praise the Lord. Uh, maybe you've heard this question before. It's a part of a catechism that kind of helps us understand our faith. And the question is what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So there you take this concept of that we are to glorify or praise God. And the good thing is we get to enjoy him forever because we get to spend eternity in heaven with him. If we've placed our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ as our savior and worship him, glorify him and enjoy his presence Forever, forever. So that's why this is a really big deal. And so this morning as we look at Psalm 150, it's kind of a great conclusion. It's an incredible conclusion to the book of Psalms because the last five chapters of Psalms could be called a Hallelujah Chorus. Because if you look at Psalm 146, 47, 48, 49, and 150, you'll see that the first line and the last line say the same thing in all five of those psalms. And that is, in English, praise the Lord. Do you know what that word is in Greek, or it's actually a transliteration, I mean, uh, sorry, I said Greek, in Hebrew, and, and that is the word hallelujah. Perhaps you've heard the word hallelujah. The word hallelujah simply is a combination of the word praise and Lord all together in a compound word, and it means to praise the Lord. And so the beginning and ending of Psalm 150 says hallelujah and hallelujah, and we're encouraged and called by God to praise him forever. It's a fitting end to a book that's completely dedicated to the praise of the Lord. I realize that the Psalms have lots of things in them. It has lament, it has uh, repentance, it has um, frustrations, but it's all embedded with this idea that we are made to glorify God, to worship Him, and to praise Him. And so as we read through Psalm 150, you're going to see it's a perfect conclusion to a book that's dedicated to the praise of God, because this this chapter, only six verses, entirely is dedicated to praising the Lord. In fact, we sometimes refer to a short hymn that praises the Lord as the doxology. The word doxology is the combination of of worshiping the Lord, and so it's this idea that we are, are to praise him, worship him with our words and with our lives. It's a short hymn of praise to God. So let's read it together. Psalm 150, it'll be on the screen. You should have the Bible maybe in your hands as well. I'll be reading it for you. Here's what it says. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness praise him with trumpet shout praise him with lute and harp praise him with tambourine and dance praise him with strings and pipe praise him with sounding cymbals praise him with loud clashing cymbals let everything that has breath praise the lord praise the lord as we walk through this psalm together, we're going to seek to answer some questions that you're probably familiar with as, as you write papers in school. Uh, and, and some of us, maybe we wrote papers in the past at school. The questions of who, what, when, where, and how. So as we walk through this psalm, we're going to ask that que- some of those questions to understand it a little bit better. The reality is there is not a lot of confuse, confusion in this, in this chapter Like, it's pretty straightforward and simple, but the question is, are we living it out with our lives? You'll see that on the sermon notes, the title of this message is Praise the Lord. So the first question I want us to answer is the question what? What are we to do? And we see on the first note that we are commanded to praise the Lord. We are commanded to praise the Lord. We see it right there in in verse 1. It says, praise the Lord, or hallelujah. And then over and over and over and over again, you see the word praise, praise the Lord, praise God, praise Him. I don't know if you counted it or not, but there are 13 times in this psalm that the word praise appears. 13 times. The chapter is only six verses long. So that means in every verse... Verses 2 through 6, the word praise is used twice in every one of those verses. In the first verse, the word praise is used three times. So this is a big deal. In the Psalms, in poetry, in the Hebrew, there's what we refer to as parallelism. And it means that one line builds on another line. So it's kind of natural for the two lines within a verse to mirror each other. Sometimes they're opposing or contrasting, but usually they kind of mirror each other. But this whole psalm is a psalm about praise. Every single verse. Maybe you even notice that every line, except for the first line of verse 6, starts with the word praise. Every line starts with the word praise, and then in verse 6, it's not at the first of the verse, but it's at the middle of the verse, and then it repeats again from that standpoint. So you see that this is very heavy with this idea of praising the Lord. Here's something else you may not have noticed, but you'll realize it when I say it. There's only one verb found in this entire chapter, and that verb is praise, So worship or praise is a verb, it's an action, it's active, but also when it's the only verb that's in this whole chapter, then we can see it's of utmost importance. It's an imperative, we're commanded, we're told that we are to praise the Lord. It doesn't say praise the Lord if you'd like to, It doesn't say if you're having a great day, then praise the Lord. It's not saying if it's sunny outside, you should praise the Lord. You're going, I don't care about the sun right now. I want some rain. So don't just praise him when it rains. Don't just praise him when the sun's out. Don't just praise him when you get a great grade on that uh, test. Don't just praise him when you have uh, the perfect job. Let's praise the Lord even on the crummiest of all days. And maybe even when you walked in this morning. Today is a less than stellar day for you. I was talking with one of my friends when he came in this morning. His wife's in the hospital and he said, I don't really know what to do. All I know is I'm supposed to be here today. And I want you to know that wherever life finds you, wherever life finds me, we are commanded to praise the Lord. If you're a follower of Jesus, there should be no other option but to praise the Lord as we walk through this life. So as I walk through this this morning, you may say, Alan, all my outer circumstances, all my situations are less than ideal. I know for me, I went to see my mom who was in the hospital for a week this past week, and she's now in a rehab center, so it's not been the perfect week for me. I know that uh, our our friend Weta is in the hospital, and that's not a perfect week for her and her family. I know that I'm going to do a funeral up in East Texas on Thursday for uh, a church member's father who passed away in the parking lot of Walmart this past week. That's not a good week you are facing things in your life, things that have you anxious, things that have you nervous, things that have you unsettled or unsure. Some of you are not looking forward to this next semester of the school year. Some of you are dealing with illness and sickness. Some of you don't know which way to turn. We're all facing obstacles and issues, but the question is, are we able and are we choosing to praise the Lord even in the midst of those trials? So we're commanded, we are clearly commanded to praise the Lord. And if we don't do this, then what we've done over this past summer, as we've walked through some of the chapters of Psalms, I think we've done eight or nine uh, sermons on the Psalms, it's been useless. If we don't praise the Lord, we miss the entire point of Scripture, and we most definitely miss the entire point of the book of the Psalms. You see, the deal is this. We are called to obey the Lord, we are called to follow His word. If you remember two weeks ago, we looked at a portion of Psalm 119. It was all about loving the Lord and his word and his statutes and his precepts and obeying him. But I want you to hear me say this. It's not simply obedience for obedience sake so we can check it off our list and say, wasn't I a good little boy or a good little girl? No, reality is this. When we keep the law, when we keep God's word, then not only do we obey him, we do that, but the end goal of our obedience, the end goal of loving the Lord and his word is that we end up adoring the lord jesus christ so whenever you think about worship whenever you think about coming to a worship service when you think about singing a song of worship when you think about studying your bible when you think about spending time with christian friends as you you think about going to a hope group experience wherever you go as you worship as you live a life of worship is it about going through the process is it about simply obeying or is it about adoring and loving our lord and savior jesus christ You see, if we're praising him, then we're going to obey him. If we're fully obeying him like we should, we're going to be praising him. It says praise the Lord 13 times in this chapter. On the announcement video, you heard a reference to our vision statement. Our our vision statement completely put together of a church family is this, to be a disciple make disciples, be the church to the glory of God. Now, to the glory of God is not a tag-on at the end. Reality is the reason we do these things is to glorify the Lord. Our focus as a church family is that we would glorify and adore and worship and praise the Lord. That is what it's all about. Are we doing things to the glory of God? Now, this idea of worshiping the Lord, this idea of praising We have to acknowledge that all of us, whether you're in this room, whether you're watching online, and people that are not here, all of us are wired to worship the Lord. And therefore, all of us worship something or someone, even if it's not the right object of our worship and adoration. We all end up worshiping something or someone. For some of us, hopefully, We are choosing to worship the one true God. And that's where our focus should be. But if we're not careful, we won't just worship the Lord. We'll end up worshiping ourselves. We'll worship success. We'll worship money. We'll worship good times. We'll worship pleasure. And the list could go on and on and on. You see, if we're not careful, we'll end up worshiping the wrong thing. So this idea of we're commanded to worship the Lord, let me ask you a reflection question. And this is the question, who or what are you worshiping? Don't give me the church answer. Don't say Jesus. Don't say I love Jesus with all my heart and then live differently. Be sincere, be truthful, be honest, and open yourself up to the Lord this morning and answer the question, who or what are you worshiping? And if your answer is anything other than the Lord, then this morning is the time for us to repent of that and say, "Lord, I don't want to worship those things anymore." Like that, even may, some of the things we worship may be a good thing, but it's not the ob- proper object of our worship and adoration. The proper object, a, 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 not object—he's not an object. The proper uh, uh, person to worship is the Lord. So this morning, perhaps some of us need to repent of our sin and begin to focus on him. And I'd encourage you, if you've got your sermon notes handy on your sheet of paper, don't turn into anybody else, but on there, just jot down the thing or things that you struggle with that at times you end up worshiping them instead of the Lord. And then could you make a commitment this week to repent of that and say, Lord, would you redirect me and allow me to worship you and to worship you alone? So, we've answered this question, what are we to do? We are to worship the Lord. Now, the next one, I have two questions with it. Where and when are we to worship God? Where and when are we to worship God? And we find that answer in the second part of verse 1. In verse 1, it says, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Let's look at those two places. He says in the sanctuary and in the heavens. So let's look at both of those. First, in his sanctuary. What does he mean to worship the Lord in his sanctuary? Well, obviously it's the psalmist is writing this down. He is picturing the, the the setup that they would have, the Hebrew people, to worship the Lord. They would go to the temple in Jerusalem, and they would worship the Lord there. They would go to the tabernacle and, and worship the Lord. For us, we might say, well, the, the place to worship the Lord in this sanctuary means that we're going to go to the worship center. We're going to go to the church building. We're going to worship the Lord at church. Now, don't get me wrong. Worshipping the Lord at the tabernacle, at the temple at the church building is a good thing but that's not exactly entirely what he means here rather when he says i want to worship him in his sanctuary it's a reference to have a desire to be in the very presence of the lord So in the Old Testament, as we read through it and understand how the sanctuary was set up, we understand that in Jerusalem, they were to build a sanctuary, a a temple, which they did, and then inside the temple grounds, they were to build an area referred to as the Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant, which had been a part of the exile where they came, uh, I'm sorry, a part of the Exodus out of Egypt, that they were to place the Ark of the Covenant there. And it was this idea that God dwelled in his sanctuary inside the temple. But then as we get into the New Testament, perhaps you're familiar with this, when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, the scripture tells us that that curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from everything else was torn in two. Why is that? Because God does not reside alone in a building. Rather, God resides in his people, the church. You may want to jot this down. I'm not going to take the time to read it out loud, but 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, references not individual Christians as the temple of the Lord. Rather, it references us corporately as the body of Christ, that we are the temple of the Lord, and therefore the Holy Spirit resides within us. And so whenever we say, I want to worship him in his sanctuary, it's this idea that we should worship him in his presence and the reality is that we know because of the finished work of Christ on the cross and in his resurrection that he resides within the lives of his people and therefore if you're a follower of Jesus the Lord is wherever you go and therefore you don't just have to come to the church building to worship the Lord you can worship the Lord everywhere you go. So where are we to worship the Lord? When are we to worship the Lord? Wherever you are at all times as you go through life. Now let's look at the second phrase. It says that we're to worship him in his mighty heavens. It's there at the end of verse 1. Obviously that's in reference to the heavens to to the throne room of the Lord. It's this picture of the angels and the saints being in the presence of God. You could read about that in the book of Revelation. And that in heaven we will worship the Lord. And so in in this verse, in verse 1 I think what it's saying is that in the earth and in heaven he is to be worshipped. That wherever there is a person he is to be worshipped. There's this picture of the earth and the heaven joining together in praising the Lord. It's this idea that the glory and the greatness of the Lord fills this vast universe that God has created and therefore this entire universe is to be filled with his glory and his praise. So to worship him in his sanctuary, to worship him in the the heavens means that we are to worship him completely, totally all of the time. Now, I want to caution us with each of these steps. I'm going to use this phrase, if we're not careful. And so this one is, if we're not careful, we'll end up praising God at church on Sunday, but nowhere else. Like I can't wait to get to the church, man. We're going to sing some praises, and I'm going to sing some songs, and I'm going to shout hallelujah. I may raise my hand a time or two. By golly, that's an incredible experience. If we're not careful, we'll make worship entirely about an hour on Sunday mornings or an hour and a half, however long it is. And the reality is that this is only a corporate expression of the worship that we're to be doing all throughout the course of the week individually as well. You see, worship is not just a service. Worship is a lifestyle of praising and glorifying the Lord. So if we're not careful, we'll end up worshiping him only on Sundays and nowhere else. So my question for you to reflect on is, where do you praise God? Do you make this church building the center of your worship experience? If you are, that's not a good place to be. Like when we gather on Sunday mornings, should we worship? Yes. Is this an important place to corporately worship together as a church family? Absolutely yes. But if you go through the rest of the week... Sunday evening, all day Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and you don't begin to worship the Lord by reading His Word, by praying to Him, by shouting hallelujah to Him, by singing songs, by listening to music that would lift you up, by having conversations with other followers of Jesus as you proclaim His name, as you share the name of Jesus with those that don't know Him, by living a lifestyle that would honor Him and bless Him and, and praise His name that would cause others to see our good works and then glorify our Father who is in heaven, then we're not really understanding what worship is I'm not negating the importance of this worship service rather I'm elevating the importance of us living a life of worship where do you praise God should be everywhere we go at all times let's look at the third question I'm going to ask and that is why are we to worship God why are we to worship God It's found in verse 2 in verse 2 it says this Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. On on your sermon notes, it says praise him for who he is and for what he has done. We are to praise the Lord we saw in point one. We are to praise him everywhere we go in point two. In this third one, we're to praise him for who he is and for what he has done. So let's look at these two phrases that are used in verse two. His mighty deeds, his excellent greatness. First, his mighty deeds. Depending on your translation, it might not have the words mighty deeds. It might have mighty works. It might have powerful acts. In other words, it's the things that the Lord has done and he does. What he does, what he has done is why we are to worship him. As this uh, psalmist was writing this phrase to say that we're to praise him for his mighty deeds, then no doubt he's thinking about several things. No doubt he's thinking about his creation. We can look at the creation and know that, those, that that's incredible work by the Lord. We can look at the fact that the nation of Israel had been in captivity in, ex, in Egypt and they exited out of Egypt and that God led them to the promised land and that is a good work that he has done. As the psalmist is writing this, he's also thinking about, um, uh, well, let me back that up. He wouldn't be thinking about it because he was, anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. One thing that you and I can look at when we see his good works is the fact that God brought his people back from exile. So this was written before the exile, before they were taken in captivity. But you and I can look at it and go, you know what? Another good work that the Lord did for his people is that he brought them back from captivity back to Jerusalem. And then I would encourage you to not just think about the big pieces from the Bible about God's work. Think about what God does in your life. What are the things that you have seen the Lord do in your life? Where has he come through? Where has he rescued you from things? Where has he blessed you? Could it be the family that he's given you? Could it be the job that he's blessed you with? Could it be the house that you're living in? Could it be the church family he's put you in? Hopefully, your list could be fairly lengthy where you see all the good things that the Lord has done in your life. So we are to praise him for his mighty deeds. The most important mighty deed that the Lord has done is the opportunity that he brings us to experience his salvation. See, if we're not careful, we can think about the good deeds he's done for us where he's brought us deliverance from the difficult circumstance we were facing. Like I was at the end of my rope and the Lord brought me out. I I didn't know where the next uh, rent check was going to come from. And I got money and I was able to pay my rent. The list could go on and on how the Lord provides for us in our situations. But ultimately, the biggest rescue, deliverance, and salvation that is offered to us is a deliverance, rescue, and salvation from a life of sin. So the biggest, most mighty, incredible, mighty deed that the Lord has done, not only is a deed he's done, it's also who he is, which will tie into this next phrase, and that is the opportunity to experience salvation. I know that many of us in this room have experienced the salvation of the Lord. We have trusted in what Jesus has done for us. And it's based on what he has done for us that our salvation is found. But for some of us in this room, maybe you don't understand what that's about. Maybe there's never been a time in your life where you've trusted in Jesus for salvation. The scripture is clear all throughout it, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that the world is filled with people that are broken and sinners. That all of us have sin in our lives. That we are disobedient, rebellious against the Lord. We go our own way. We worship ourselves. We call ourselves Lord. And you're like, I've never called myself Lord. I'm not saying you walk around and call yourself Lord and introduce yourself that way. I'm saying we live as though we are in charge. If it feels good, do it. If it's pleasure-seeking, I'll do that. If I don't want to do it, I won't do it. You ever had... Small children or teenagers where they sometimes buck the system and say, I'm not going to do that today, mom and dad. You're like, amen, can I get a hallelujah? We do the same thing to God. No, thank you, God, I'm not interested. I'm not going to do that. The Bible calls it clearly sin. And sin separates us for all eternity from a holy, perfect God. And whenever I live a life of sin, God has nothing to do with me because he cannot be around sin. But the amazing good work of the Lord is that he sent his son Jesus, God in the flesh, walk this earth tempted in every way we are, yet was without sin, obeyed the law, worshipped the Lord, his Father, and did the right things, and was perfect, and did not deserve death like you and I do because of our sin, and yet he died on the cross for our sins. The Bible says that all of our sins were placed on his shoulders, and he died for our sins, but three days later he was raised to life. And because of that, he was able to overcome sin and death and the grave. And because of that, you can place your faith and your trust, repent of your sins, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. So why should we praise the Lord? If you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, praise him for what he has done, his his mighty deeds of salvation. If you've not experienced his mighty deeds of salvation, could it be that today is the day that you would trust in him? That next phrase, his excellent greatness that we see at the end of verse 2, it combines the great works that the Lord has done. Jesus died for our sins and was raised again. And it also defines who he is. To say that we should praise the Lord for his excellent greatness. Other phrases that might be in your translations would say um, his unequaled greatness, his abundant greatness, his magnificent greatness, his surpassing greatness. In other words we are to praise God for who he is. Who is the Lord? He is sovereign. He's in charge. He's the Lord. He's in control. He's the creator. He's omnipresent. means he's present everywhere. He's omniscient, which means he knows everything. He's omnipotent, which means he's all powerful. He's love he's holy he's mercy he's grace he's a great physician he's righteous he's the shepherd he's just he's faithful he is good he's our father and the list could go on and on and on we don't just praise the Lord for what he's done for us but ultimately we praise the Lord for who he is why does he do the things for us that he does not because he's the big guy in the sky or he's Santa Claus or he's grandpa and gives us whatever we want. Rather, the reason he does the things for us that he does is because of who he is. Why does he provide for us? Because he is our provider. Why does he give us good things? Because he is loving. Why did he send his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins? John 3.16 is a simple verse that you probably have heard a few times and maybe even memorized, and we see it there For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish or die, but have everlasting life. God cannot do anything that's out of his character. And therefore, his character is good and right and pure and holy and perfect. And because of who he is, we should fall on our knees and worship him. In order for us to worship him for his greatness, we have to know him. If we don't know him, we can't know who he is, right? So for some of you, you've not placed your faith and your trust in Jesus. And so to know him, you need to trust in Jesus as your Savior, experience him as your Savior, and then begin to understand who he is. For those of us that are already followers of Jesus, we need to be growing in our faith so that we understand him more and more and more and get a greater and bigger picture of who he is. The only way that we can really know him is to spend time with him. And to spend time with him means to read his word, to study his word, to unpack his word, to underline in your scripture, to apply to your life, to memorize his word, to meditate upon it, to, to pray to him, to hear his word. So are we trusting in that do we seek to know him for who he is now earlier you saw in the video i know we had a lot of announcements there's a lot of things that kick off in the fall and it's all going to be amazing you want to be a part of it but there were two equipping classes that were mentioned all of them will be good there's four of them but i want to highlight two of them because these two really tag into this idea of getting to know the lord and understanding who he is so we can praise him for his excellent greatness One of those is the Christian Beliefs uh, class. That's a core class that we want everybody to take at some point in time so they can understand the doctrine of Scripture to understand who God is, who the Father is, who the Son is, who the Holy Spirit is, and to begin to live our lives accordingly. And then the other one, many of you in this room have taken this class, and it's amazing. It's called Experiencing God. You cannot take that class and really engage with it and walk away and go, ho-hum, that was amazing. No, it's designed for you and I to experience God for who he is. So if you want to worship the Lord for his excellent greatness and you haven't taken those classes, I'd encourage you to jump in and be a part of one of those. This whole idea of worshiping the Lord for his mighty deeds and his excellent greatness, the thing we have to be careful here is this. If we're not careful, we'll end up worshiping God just for what he does for us. I'm going to worship God because he was nice to me. I'm going to worship God because he gave me a car. I'm going to worship God because he gave me a job. I'm going to worship God because he gave me $100. I'm going to worship God because he gave me a house. I'm going to worship God because he gave me a friend, and the list could go on and on, and we completely neglect and ignore worshiping the Lord for his greatness. So I want to ask you this question, is your praise of God centered on what he does for you or who he is? we should thank god for what he's done for us but our praise should be centered not on what he's done but on who he is and so maybe what is it this week that you need to do to make a conscious effort to praise god for his excellent greatness let's get to another question how how are we to worship god we we see this answer in verses 3 through 5 i'm not going to read the verses i'm going to use the words that are in the verses though the word praise is there and then i'm gonna list every other word in just a second you can glance at your scripture to see what i'm saying here verses three through five we see that we're to praise him with everything we have i thought of um Kristen and John Seal and uh, also Michael Dixon because they're all band directors uh, in our schools here and they're members of our church but I thought of them because I don't know anything about instruments and I know they do but I can read what's in the text all right so there are seven different instruments and or categories of instruments that are listed here I'm going to read them to you they're in the ESV you may have other words in yours but they're the same instruments here they are trumpet, lute, harp, tambourine strings, pipe, and cymbals. Just so you know, the word trumpet is also the word shofar. That's the word in the Hebrew, and perhaps you've heard of shofar before. It's a ram's horn. It's a blast. You'll blast it loudly. It's indicated in various ways in the Old Testament to grab God's people, bring them to the house of the Lord, or to run out in victory, all kinds of ways to, to announce a celebration and, and a festival. It's a celebratory announcing kind of thing. It's kind of like my voice. My voice is incredibly loud. That's what a shofar is, loud. Um, Anyway, all right, so shofar, and then the word uh, pipe in the ESV, it's also uh, the word flute, and I thought this morning we were going to get to have a flautist, Uh, but uh, Kristen is running sound today instead of playing her flute. She said I could borrow her flute and come play it. I don't think you'd enjoy that very well, but the word pipe here is the word flute, and and then the, the word lute ha- ha is, a str- is a stringed instrument, okay? Um, so all kinds of instruments that are listed here, seven different types. You'll also notice, I'll, I'll use a little bit of my knowledge here, tell me if I'm right or right, wrong, John. We have wind instruments, we have stringed instruments, and we have percussion instruments, all three found in this text, right? I want you to know, though, this is not an exhaustive list. You're like, where's the organ? Where's the piano? It's not an exhaustive list. Here's the deal. This was written uh, more than uh, two, 3,000 years ago. It's written for the Hebrew people to understand the instruments of their time, and so it's not an exhaustive list here. I also want to say this. Musical instruments, as it relates to a worship service, is more about a matter of culture and taste and not spirituality. Well, there's no Hammond B, or ha- Hammond B, is that what you call it? What do you call it, an organ? Is it a Hammond, a Hammond organ? I don't know. There's not an organ over here, so it's not the right kind, we don't have the right kind of music. Well, no, we can have an organ, but we don't have to have an organ. You don't have to have a guitar, you could have an accordion for that matter, right? You could have any kind of instrument. It's not about what instrument we use, but rather why we use the instruments that we use. We can and we should use any instrument as long as we use it to rightly honor the Lord in worship. So there's seven different instruments listed here. Now, I want to get a little um, scandalous here, I guess. There's also another instrument that's used. Look at verse 4. Praise him with tambourine and dance. All right, now, come on. Jacob's going to be leading the uh, interpretive dance movement class. Now, the reality is this. How we use our body, not just the instruments we play, can be a form of worship, right? This week, last two weeks, I should say, um, our daughter Carson was in Jackson, Mississippi, at a ballet company called Ballet Magnificat, and it's designed to use ballet to worship the Lord. And so we were at her recital, and the recital wasn't just you know, uh, let's just play some kind of song and just do some kind of dance movement. No, the entire recital was designed to bring worship and adoration to the Lord. It it was a two-hour worship service. Granted, there was not preaching, but it was a worship service as we watched them dance before the Lord. So what I love about this is we have a cacophony of instruments. We have, we have, we have boo coodles of instruments that are listed here, as well as the call to use our bodies to worship the Lord. We're to dance, we're to play instruments, we're to sing. We see that in verse 6. What he's saying here is that we are to use everything that we have and that we are to worship the Lord. There's to be excitement, intensity, passion, all of those things as we worship the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that every worship song we sing on a Sunday morning should have all of us uh, uh, with our hands in the air and jumping up and down. But I'm also saying that I don't think worship is designed for all of us on all of the songs at all times to have arms crossed and mumbling the words and barely singing them. I know that we have different personalities. I know we have different volumes. I know we have different singing sets and skills. If you've ever sat near me, you know I cannot sing, and yet I still sing out loud. Others of you are like, I don't sing very well, so I'm going to sing, but not real loud. I I get it. We have different personalities. But guys and gals, we are called to worship the Lord with all the instruments we have, with all the singing we have, with all the proper body motions to worship the Lord. Would we be serious about worshiping the Lord together? You see, whenever we come together as a church family, we shouldn't be scanning the audience and going, well, the Smiths worshiping or the Robinsons worshiping, the Joneses, like you shouldn't be doing that. But when we come together corporately, shouldn't we be impacted by hearing the voices around us, by seeing the passion that the people are using as they sing to the Lord? We must take seriously our worship of the Lord, not just throughout the course of our lives, but also in, within the veins of our worship service together as a church family. We are impacted as we all seek to worship the Lord together. What we see here is that worship is a matter of the heart. The reason we should play all of our instruments, the reason we should dance before the Lord, the reason we should sing to the Lord, is not because the Bible tells us to, which that is the reason, yes, but not simply because of that, but because those things allow for us to have a heart that is ready to worship the Lord. He deserves the best we can give him, and therefore we should give him our best. But see, if we're not careful, we'll end up arguing over worship instead of giving it all that we have. Now, I know not everybody's as old as I am, and maybe not everybody remembers the the days and times of what was called the worship wars, but literally there's a thing in a lot of churches that they went through the worship wars, arguing and fighting over should we use hymnals or should we have it on the screen, arguing and fighting over should we play a, a, a keyboard or an organ, arguing and fighting over whether we should play an accordion or a guitar, okay, maybe not that one, but we argue and fight over things. Don't get me wrong. Everything that we do to worship the Lord should be done properly, dignified before the Lord. All that we do and say should be done in respect of those around us. Can I say something about hymns for a minute? While I don't use a hymn null, I like to sing a lot of hymns. I, there's just something about going somewhere to another church building and they're singing a song and it's not a song that just came out last week and I haven't heard it yet. I can't sing it. No, it came out 400 years ago and his people have been singing it for 400 years and I can sing it from memory because I've been soaked in those words. I don't know when the doxology was written. We sang it a minute ago and we're going to sing it again in a moment. I know those words, not because they're on the screen, like I can close my eyes and sing them because it's embedded in who i am and here's the deal i don't know if you've ever seen this or not but people that are in nursing homes that end up with dementia or alzheimer's sometimes you go into there and they cannot have a conversation with you about knowing about anything that's going on there right then and they can't remember a thing but put a piano before them and those hymns come out and they start singing hallelujah to the lord what we sing matters, so I'm not making light of this conversation about should we sing hymns or should we sing choruses? Should we use a hymnal or should we sing from the, 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 the screen? What I am saying is this, that we should rightly worship the Lord, not argue over things, and love him as we worship him. I'm looking at somebody right now that's in the church building. I'm not going to call them out by name, and I'll turn around and look different places. They don't know who, but here's the deal. I had a conversation with somebody started coming to our church a little before Easter. I was on the phone with him, and he said, You know what, Alan? I personally prefer the hymns. And the songs that we sing on Sunday mornings, they're not my favorite, but here's what they told me. They said, Alan, I know that the younger generation needs some of these other things, and if that's what draws them in, and we sing worship songs to the Lord, it may not be my favorite song to sing, but I'm just happy we're singing them because the younger generation is there too. Younger generation, don't have that attitude, of, see, it's all about me. No, we need to show respect to our elders too, right? I'm just 50 years old, and I'll tell you I love hymns. Guys, I'm saying this. Our hearts should long to adore and worship and glorify the Lord, and therefore we should grab any instrument that's near us, pound anything that we can to sing and clap and shout and sing hallelujah. If you watch me on Sunday mornings, I'm a little bit offbeat, but by golly, I like to clap my hands. My kids even make fun of me how I clap my hands. But let's worship the Lord, all right? Maybe I've gone on long enough about that. Let's go. So, um, oh, here's the question. When it comes to worshiping God, do you withhold anything from him? There's some music right there. When you worship God, do you withhold anything from him? All right, let's get to the last question. Who is to worship the Lord? It's found in verse six? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Howard talked about that a moment ago. Who is to worship the Lord? It says on your notes, and I've changed it on the screen because I like it better how I worded it now, and that is praise him if you have breath. I know it says praise him if you can breathe. All of us can breathe. I like this phrase better. Praise him if you have breath. I know it's the same answer. All of us that are in here, we're breathing, so all of us should praise him. It says everything that has breath. The word everything means totally, totality, all, whosoever. In other words, no living being should withhold worship from the Lord. Everything that has breath should praise the Lord. As we think about the word breath in the Hebrew, the same word for breath is found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it describes how the Lord created the first man, Adam. It says, Then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground, and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. When God breathed into Adam to give him life, it gave him the breath of life. And the word breath here is the same word that we find in Psalm 150 that says everything that has breath is to praise the Lord. We sang about that breath a moment ago. What it's saying is that he breathes his breath in us and therefore we are to breathe it back out in praise to him. Whenever we sing, we excel Exhale, air. We're breathing as we sing. The breath that's in our lungs is from the Lord, and therefore the breath that comes out of our mouth should be in praise and adoration to the Lord. But if we're not careful, we'll do the very thing that Jesus warns us against in Luke chapter 19, verse 40, and we will allow the rocks to cry out instead of us. The rocks don't have breath, and yet creation praises the lord and what a shame it would be if we as followers of jesus don't use our breath to praise the lord so if you've got breath praise the lord my question is are you breathing this morning if not let us know we'll get you some help right now but i think all of us are breathing are we using that breath to praise the lord What's keeping you from praising the Lord? If you have breath, are you praising the Lord? If not, why not? Repent. Change that pattern. Some of you are not praising the Lord because you've never trusted in Jesus for salvation. Repent of your sin. Trust in Jesus' finished work. Begin to praise him with your life because of that. Trust in him for salvation. If you are a follower of Jesus, stop walking through life, living life your way, doing your thing, worshiping your thing, and let's turn it into a life of praising and worshiping the Lord. To kind of sum up this whole psalm, I put it all together in a bottom line statement that I think is going to be on the screen, and here's what it says. The praise of God is to reverberate throughout the universe as all people everywhere always praise him for who he is and what he does if we're not careful we will take the phrase everything that has breath praise the lord and i go yep i'm breathing i should be praising and we forget that on the front of that says everything that means you and i have a role to play to help everything and everyone praise the lord you see it's not all about my breath As Christians, we're called to help everyone everywhere with a breath, praise the Lord. Which means that all people on every continent are to praise the Lord. Which means we need evangelism. We need missions. We need to go and tell others about Jesus. We need to go in our front yard and meet our neighbors and tell them about Jesus. Because if they have breath and they're not praising the Lord, it's our job and privilege to tell them about Jesus. I don't know if you're familiar with John Piper or not. He's a pastor and an author, and he wrote a book 20-plus years ago, maybe even 30 years ago now, called Let the Nations Be Glad. And here's how he opens the book. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't worship is ultimate not missions because god is ultimate not man when this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the god before the throne of god missions will be no more it is a temporary necessity but worship abides forever. And what he's saying is that our purpose is to worship the Lord. And because not everybody worships the Lord, not everybody knows the Lord, then it's our task as followers of Jesus to go out and do missions and evangelism so that others would come to know Jesus so that they will worship the Lord as well. So the challenge this morning for us is Am I adoring the Lord like I should? Am I worshiping him? What corrections and things do I need to adjust in my life so that I worship him? And then am I interested in helping others come to know Jesus so that they can worship him as well? Because if we walk out of this room and go, oh yeah, I'm supposed to worship him. I'm going to be more passionate in my worship both at the church building and in my private time. And I'm going to study my Bible 24-7. And we get so focused on worshiping the Lord. We never remember that part of worshiping the Lord is going into all nations to make disciples of all nations. Of all tribes and of all languages and of all ethnicities and all cultures. You see every breath, every breath is to praise the Lord and every breath does not mean just your breath. Every breath does not just mean American's breaths. Every breath means any random small country, small village, large city, Third world world country or not third world country. Every person on this planet. My daughter tells me now we're getting almost 8 billion people on this planet. All of them should be praising and worshiping the Lord. Are we taking our call seriously to go out and tell others? I don't know if you know this or not, but school's about to start. Y'all looking forward to that? Amen, amen, says mama. I don't know if you know this or not. But we have... I don't know, 70,000 students at Texas A&M University? And I don't know how many nations are represented, over 100, probably close to 200 nations that are represented on our campus. The world is coming to to our, our, our town, right? What would it look like if we took our call seriously to go out and make disciples? Worship's all about God. It's all about the supremacy of Christ. What is God calling you to do today to redirect your focus on the proper worship of him? It could be business you need to do in your heart to have your heart right so, to worship, so that you can worship him. It could be turning from your sin and trusting in him for salvation. It could be a commitment to tell your neighbors and those around you of the love of Jesus. It could be that God's calling you to go in September When our church is sending a mission team to Oregon to do campus ministry up there with Kaylee Vessels, one of our mission ministry partners up there, and you can share the gospel with those in the Northwest. I don't know what God's calling you to do, but I am sure and confident he's calling you to praise him for his goodness and his greatness. Let me lead us in prayer.